When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with the interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Big hello to uh, to the, you, the subscribers. Uh, always appreciate you checking out all the episodes. I know we got new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If you didn't know, of course, you probably did if you subscribe because they come to your, uh, your inbox, your, your listening device. Which is to say, if you're not a subscriber, I hope you take that moment. Uh, you can grab us at iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can hear this at uh, Spotify, uh, also YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. Just type in Kyle Meredith with, and uh, and we'll take care of the rest from there. I'm Kyle Meredith, and today my guest, Stephen Malcolmus. I always love talking to this guy. Of course, he has had one of the greatest careers in indie rock, uh, from from being in Pavement to uh, his solo stuff starting in the early 2000s, uh, and especially in the past few years, three records in three years. That's what we've had with Malcolm, uh, starting with uh, three years ago and the Jix record, Sparkle Hard, to last year's Groove Denied, and now with traditional techniques. So that's what I'm going to be talking with uh, Stephen about. Um, Whereas the Jix record was a rock record and Groove Denied was an electronic record. So this one's a folk record. And we're going to be talking about his touch points from, uh, from early Led Zeppelin, the folky side of Led Zeppelin. Uh, he, of course, has mentioned uh, Gordon Lightfoot in a lot of interviews. Tony Joe White, 
So we're going to be hearing about how he kind of arrived to that sound right there, which, as he'll tell you, starts with a 12-string guitar. It also allows us to kind of uh, nerd out on some Led Zeppelin, specifically Led Zeppelin IV, the Zoso record, which uh, Stephen had made a uh, uh, an entertaining tweet recently where he ranked all of the songs and was sort of taken to task not only by his own fans, but by Rolling Stone magazine as well. So we're going to give him a moment to defend that and really just nerd out about the whole thing, as well as also hear about how that influences the instruments they're playing with, not only that 12-string, but a lot of Afghani instruments. And then with the lyrics, of course, if you're a fan of Stephen Malcolmus, you're a fan of his lyrics. Whether you can understand uh, what he's saying, whether he's riffing or just being incredibly poetic, it's always interesting. And this record is no exception. We get to talk about, a lot about uh, generational bickering, you know, whether it be millennials to boomers or, or whatever, uh, especially in a song like Flow and Robes. We're also going to touch on Christian Man, the first single, and see if that has ties back to uh, a song of his called Shibboleth. And of course, we'll be talking about how the COVID-19 epidemic has affected uh, what he's got planned for the year. In fact, that's where we'll start. So let's jump into it, discussing the album Traditional Techniques, it's Kyle Meredith with Stephen Malcolmus. Hey, Kyle. What's up? Well, the new record is called Traditional Techniques. I thought we'd start out, though, uh, you know, sort of getting the temperature of, uh, of all the, uh, the artists that I've been talking to about how the current situation with COVID-19 has affected you or is affecting uh, what you've got going on. It seems to have upended everybody's plans. Other than canceling the tour, has this been messing with, with your career much? <laughs> I think it is with everybody. Just, I mean, the tour is, uh, that's over 50% of what you are these days from a um, career standpoint. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and if it's not only me, it's other people. I'm just talking to, uh, you know, bandmates and uh, people, labels. And it's, I mean, I think that probably people like um, managers and booking agents, they, it's worse for them because mm-hmm. they have to actually like pick up the pieces and and we kind of just, we don't get told what to do, but you know, we don't have to make as many um, calls and like fight for things. I think it's pushing everything back. So I mean, nobody knows either really how long it's going to be. Everyone tries to say they do, but uh, so I think it's just really limbo. Like you say, well, you know, about the record then, I mean, th- so this did get released uh, sort of just in the nick of time in, in one sense, uh, you know, as a lot of people have went ahead and chose to push their, their releases back. But but this comes, mm-hmm. and it's another fun one. It's, I mean, you are doing such interesting things right now, and it's a great time to be a fan of what you're doing because, of course, we're getting so much music with, you know, as it's been told over and over, you've done three albums in about three years and each with their own mm-hmm. specific sound. Uh, this one, as you've said, really goes more of the folk and, and sometimes a little bit of the psychedelic folk route. Were there certain musical touch points you were thinking about, um, whether it be artists or, or eras or whatever, as you went into it? I mean, yeah, the, uh, with, with the 12-string uh, guitar as the um, foundation of the record and the, what I wrote the songs on, I was in mind of... Uh, other things that sound, whether it's the kind of Led Zeppelin, the soft side of Led Zeppelin, the boring side when you were a kid, but <laughs> that sounds good. That sounds good now. Uh, you know, some singer-songwriter people like Gordon Lightfoot, and um, also some kind of uh, rural bands from the seventies. I mean, it was most of it would come from that time. You know, that was the. Uh, I would say it was in a sort of post. Uh, 
Crosby, Stills, and Nash and Young universe, you know, where people, where there was a lot of this kind of music was viable commercially, and so a lot of stuff came out, and some of it was really good, and others was, you know, not as good, but... Anyway, that would be what I what I thought. You know, that that was my starting point when you're just a voice and a guitar. You, you, yeah, of course, I got to bring up. You mentioned Zeppelin there, and I had a lot of fun. Um, first off, with your tweet where you were, it was just a random nights, and uh, and, mm-hmm. and going back to the story, you decided to put the headphones on and you ranked every song in in your yeah. preference on Zeppelin Four, and <laughs> Rolling Stone picked up that one tweet and sort of that took you ridiculous. to task for it. Yeah, that was. I understand everyone. It's really comes down to this When the Levy Breaks song, which, you know, on Apple headphones, it's at the end of the album, it just sounds a bit, I know the famous loops from Beastie Boys and the drop, you know, I haven't really listened to that album all the way through, maybe even in my whole life, even though I know all those songs, you know, except for, I don't really know Four Sticks very well, but every other song, you know, I totally know um, exactly what's going to happen in them just from existing on this planet. And <laughs> so, yeah, when I was listening to it, I considered it fresh ears and a relatively, you know, with a, a little bit of bias against ham and egg blues, no matter how well it's produced. <laughs> um, or, um, so that's why I didn't. And everybody apparently loves this one, the Levy Break song. And so I'm definitely ratioed on that, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't mind, but. Uh, you know, I was really the first song that I put on there is, is one called Misty Mountain Hop and it, it uh anyone who knows my style of music would understand why I you know, I like that is in something that I would like to play myself, you know. Um whereas when the levy breaks I can see it on the set list after three years of touring and just being like, Okay, let's like autopilot, let's just do one levy you know what I mean? And just like thinking of the hotel room and the groupies and stuff like while I'm playing it. Um, <laughs> whereas with Misty Mountain Hop and getting pumped by the strange melody and the I can't wait for that fill by Bonham at the very end, you know, that's just going to make me um, lose it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love Misty Mountain Hop. I, you know, it's. I, of course, I would have my my tracks would be in a different order, yeah, but whatever. Everyone's got their own choice. Yeah, I have nothing <laughs> against uh, that song right there. It's so funny though. I had um, I, I had just been thinking. I don't know. Just a few days, I think, before you wrote that, or maybe it was the same day you wrote that. I don't even know. But I was thinking how it was. Uh, you know, around the early '90s or or somewhere in there where. You know, you look in the big rock magazines and it would have said the greatest rock song of all time is Stairway to Heaven. And the worst rock song of all time is We Built This City by Starship. And and that sort of seemed to be the thing for a long time. And now I don't know if that would still I don't know if that would still be the thing. But also, you have to remember that Rolling Stone, not that it matters, would have given those albums one star, you know, like four out of five up to like after Soundgarden. Um, they were really down on Led Zeppelin, made fun of them. And, you know, it's just funny how times change, you know, because my friend had that blue Rolling Stone record guide and he would only buy five star records. He was like kind of a nerd. Uh-huh. And so he just wouldn't buy any uh, Led Zeppelin records. He's like, they suck. Rolling Stone says. <laughs> Same with Black Sabbath. Funny. Yeah, I've gone through that. It, it is funny that you see that. Uh, the bands that you you know we you our generations anybody's generations are you know 
will be down on will inevitably be inevitably be the bands that have some kind of critical resurgence 20 years later. I, I, I never yeah. would have thought Journey would have been in that, and then suddenly Journey's a big deal I again. Know. You know, just all of these things. Yeah, those power ballads and just uh, something about them. It's true, <laughs> I know, that uh, I'm surprised, too, by Journey. Montrose, they were good, though. <laughs> <laughs> Montrose probably doesn't. Montrose a little yeah. bit. They don't get. I don't think they're big enough just to even get in that conversation with most people, though. No, <laughs> I know. Just Bay Area. I just had to rep. Yeah, the Bay Area. All right, so back on track with traditional techniques. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of these instruments, I, I did want to ask about because uh, I think outside of the traditional instruments, um, cool. you had mentioned some of the other ones being uh, Afghani instruments was that right mm-hmm. tell tell me yep. about those because i have no knowledge there me neither really um <laughs> I'll, I'll, i looked up uh the instruments that the guys played the stringed instrument the robot is kind of a um and from afghanistan and it's about four feet long and it has like wooden pegs that you tune and it's kind of uh looks similar to like some Japanese instruments too, and you play it with like a a pick that's like the size of a I wouldn't say a domino, but it's maybe one one centimeter long, uh, wide, and an inch long, like a little wooden. Um, and then there's no no frets, and it's got bow gang growl. I'm making the sound that that sounds. Uh, Sounds almost on PC to do that or something, but you know, it just it has a band to it that is really cool. And it's like, um, and you can play chords. Well, I wish the Kwai who played it was here to talk to you. And then the, the flute player had a bunch of flutes that were um, no holes flutes, and you can kind of play them to each uh, or like one hole. And so he would he would kind of like find the right one for the for the song. You know, he had a bag of them. And so he would just like rip it. I mean, they had a few holes in them, but he just would rip out these insane solos. And he also brought a tabla and the um, Kwai's girlfriend at the time played a mini sitar. I'm not sure if it's called a sitar, but to me, it looked like a mini sitar with less strings. (laughs) Well, you know, I was thinking like you can obviously adapt any instrument usually into whatever format you need and um but but for you yeah for you you know with with this sort of new palette i mean does that a does that do you write different than you would for some of the other albums does that change how you write a song how you approach it i think chris uh who helped make the record listen to my demos and it might have even been before he heard the demos, but he had this idea to uh, offer them to come and, and please play with us. And uh, then once we were doing it, you know, I had a few. I mean, you know the kind of songs that it will work on. You know what I mean? They're not right. gonna. It's not gonna work on every song. So, I mean, in advance, I wasn't doing. I wasn't planning in advance. Um, you know, I would if there was another time, though. Yeah, when when this this the only plans i had were to to make it on a 12 string by myself and not um not make uh complicated demos just like me singing and um let everyone else interpret it you know what i mean like sometimes people make demos and they i do you put drums and bass you want to give the band like a fuller um idea of what you think it's supposed to sound like which can change but yeah, that was kind of it. And then, like I said, those sort of touchstones of thought, uh, existential Gordon Lightfoot and 
open tuning music by like Jimmy Page and Robbie Basho and people like that, you know. Sort of lets you know what colors, sort of lets your, you know, yeah. your collaborators know what colors you're painting with, at least. Totally. And yeah. they can get it because they're all good. Everyone, right. you know, at this point, we're like, everyone on the record is like nearly 50. And we've got, we've heard, we haven't heard it all. <laughs> a lot. You know what I mean? Right. We haven't heard all news. I mean, I'm just talking guitar music. So uh, then on the other side, you know, you got the lyrical side and everything. I think in other interviews you've talked about that it's important for you to have something to say going into a record. Why do a record if you don't have something to say? So, so what, what, how do you approach that one then? Because, again, you've done two records. You've said a lot over two records going into this third one. Was that, was that digging a little bit deeper? Did that come as easy as usual? Well, I think I just sort of tried to make a virtue of uh, the situation and the songs that I... Some of the songs are... Uh, I had something to say because um, I'd already written them and they had good lyrics already. But then some of them are more free. Yeah, some of them are more free. And I was like thinking this is a, a little bit of a jazz situation, you know, in that we're throwing all these people together that never played before and we're playing all these songs for the first time most of them um you know first time in a group situation so that would not the other people are being improvisational so i can too like uh you know like the some of those um tim buckley albums where he uh he kind of scat things and just goes with the flow um i did a bit of that with you know not um using my voice as an instrument but using my uh mind is a uh, you know like riffing off what people were saying and kind of having a loose lyrics but seeing how it felt and, and i sang um, half the songs i sang uh live in the studio while we recorded them you know so uh that's all you know a performance and that worked so sometimes i had to change those because they weren't good sometimes i couldn't really change them if i sang out of tune or the lyrics weren't as exactly what I wanted to say, like the song Amberjack. And uh, I, I like those lyrics are good and stuff, but like some of them I miss. I kind of say cliche things a little bit, you know, or just, I don't know. I looked at the lyrics and I, then I didn't say it right. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter, though. I'm just telling you, that's I gave myself more leeway to not have something to say. I'm over answering your question a couple times. Well, because the music lent itself to that. Well, it's, it is. So, so the songs that, you know, either that you've talked about or, or, or some of the parts may be a little bit obvious and everything that I found interesting, like um, I'll hit on Flow and Robes, mm-hmm. which I, I, think, I don't know, it was an interview you were talking about, you know, having fun with uh, the generation before you, with, with the boomers. And, and, and I find that that's a word that you're saying a lot right now, and maybe that's just a press cycle. But as everyone, as all the, it seems like there's more generational bickering right now than ever. Uh, I'll say that. Yeah, there is. I mean, my daughter says it a lot, so I sometimes, or she doesn't say it a lot, but she uh, she uh, calls us on things sometimes. And yeah, I'm not even a boomer, but you know, it yeah. doesn't mean you can't exhibit boomer characteristics if you're not one. You know, like she, she's, or like the funny version of it. Where I mean, obviously it's overdone and all that. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, for it to be so popular, but yeah, I mean, there's been some. Obviously, with the coronavirus, there's been some uh, re- recrimination from uh, some places I've seen. You know, where almost again it feels like 
these younger people who hypothetically aren't really getting particularly sick from it, even though we're not saying that, mm-hmm. and some of them do, mm-hmm. are having to pay the uh, pay the bill again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like I, to say, I I mean, it's people have said that and got shot down on the internet, you know, for mm-hmm. saying that. You know, like we're all in this together, and people get sick. Everyone gets sick, and you're a fascist or something for saying that. But there's like it's kind of uh again what it's not like the boomers caused uh <laughs> corona i'm not saying that right so, right right but i'm just saying we're they're far and away going to be the ones that are affected by this um <clears throat> anyway that's a, just another side i've seen of that but uh where else you see it it's uh in many places um the stock market bailout could be considered one too and just in the specific corona times which is absolutely insane <laughs> <laughs> well h- how do you feel then about uh you know the, the whole thing about gen x being lost in the conversation at all like it's it's usually the millennials or z and the boomers in the conversation mm-hmm. and and we're sort of just nowhere to be found which personally makes me all always happy you know it's, i've spent my life like that <laughs> so why not <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I heard somebody told me we're uh, we're perfectly uh, we're the we're perfectly suited to this coronavirus crisis. I saw some things <laughs> right, yeah. that we're like the we're tailor made for it. I don't know what that means. I didn't click, but you know, I just wanted to let you know that, that was like some some article I saw on the internet that uh, our disposition is right for for um hey. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, the, the whole thing is, uh, you know, we were supposed to be a, a, a generation of, um, of of introverts, <laughs> you know, yeah, right, staying inside. So it's it's been, yeah, in that sense. I don't know. I I would have thought that there's lots of. I would have thought younger generations are staying inside, play computer games or something all day, <laughs> too. You know, right? Is that not true? I that's um, at least as a as that expanded just from like in our generation, it was just you know, Japanese boys or something <laughs> were doing that. Right. And now it seems like, I don't know, a lot of my friends' kids, that's what their boys do for entertainment. So I guess they're in, in New York just playing Internet games with their friends. Right. I mean, we're obviously getting up. Yeah, speaking in generalities here anyway, so I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bit of a silly thing uh, when you get to the mm-hmm. root of it, just um that's true. I don't know. What I, you never know. I don't think we offended anybody. I don't think we did. Um, well, let's try on this next one then. Uh, and I'll, mm-hmm. I'll close up with this. Uh, because the first single off Traditional Techniques, a really cool jam uh, called Christian Man, you know, sort of wondering what you're getting at, but also tying it back to times that you've hit on religion before with like uh, Sibyleth, uh, I think, came mm-hmm. to mind and everything. And if there's, if there's any kind of thread that, that ties those moments together. Well, you know, in this song, I was imagine, just imagining he's sort of a, um upstanding, like in his mind, he's the Christian man is a, a you know, a man with morals and uh, and a little bit old school, like into uh, chivalry or something like that. Um, I mean, that was just the, the dude that's singing. He's uh, just saying, you know, come to... Uh, you should date me because I don't know. It just sounded tight, and it also kind of played with the the sound of the song. It's kind of semi swampy, uh, Tony Joe White um, idea. At least I thought it was when it started, and um, I also felt like it was sort of existential, individual. This guy, it, it added some levity to the song. <laughs> you know, I I don't uh, 
I don't really, I kind of listen to the music and say where, see where it leads me and how the, uh, how the flow goes probably like a lot of people and then i build a i build a sort of a story but there's not much of a story there it's kind of just riffing other than that and i got to say i was i'm miles davis better than you which you know i just that was it's a good line happy to say that um (laughs) (laughs) fun with words that's what that is yeah i mean yeah and the way the song i mean i really was just in a tony joe white uh who passed away recently Mm -hmm. and uh Mm -hmm sort of Gordon Lightfoot idea when I was by myself, like Sundown or um song like that. And then uh but then the band played and it sounded a little more like Credency or Chugley and some African African uh scales by Matt Sweeney and I don't know. And then it becomes something else. You know, it's like a big, weird mix. Right. Then you have a Christian man in an African song. Then it's almost, you know, like a missionary. <laughs> Who knows? Nobody, Tony Joe White doesn't get enough uh, recognition uh, out there. He's sort of floated no. under the radar, probably in a similar vein of Gordon, which though Gordon Lightfoot has a, a brand new record. I haven't heard it yet, but I just saw that he uh, released a new no record. No way. So, yeah. He's got to be pretty loaded, though, from all those hits. Tony... Have Poke Salad Annie, which uh, mm-hmm. Elvis would play. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, his daughter used to, like, I wonder if this will happen to me, but, um, you know, sometimes people's uh, children look after their career, and his his daughter was like, I remember her, maybe it was a son, I can't remember, you know, reaching out to me a few years ago because I had mentioned him before and saying, like, you know, Tony's still gigging, and thanks for mentioning him. That's cool. That's how we got Booner Oldham is on one of the songs. I um, know that. On, yeah, he's on... Uh, the uh, brainwash he plays Mellotron on there or uh, Wurlitzer. Oh, cool! Um, and that's another situation where well, Chris, so like we should get Spooner. That's the only song on the album that we actually was computer like went to Pro Tools at some point because we had to send him the files, mm-hmm. and um, we also dealt with his family down in Alabama. It's pretty interesting. The guy's a wizard. Um, just amazing what I know. he does. I know. Yeah. So cool. He just like jammed to it for two two takes and you know we just picked the one we liked and, and it was it done thousand dollars later you got spinner oldham <laughs> i was just talking with i don't know if you, you know nicole adkins the artist nicole adkins mm-hmm. she just did her whole record there at the at that studio and it's really just hearing what Probably the band it. does it's it's so good i mean it's in that style yeah, you know in that muscle shoal style yeah. but yeah it's um it's it just because they don't miss you know everything they do it's just oh there it is it's obvious no. they have that sound it's amazing and I would like to visit there someday. One day when we can visit places again. I know. Fuck. Tell me. Oh, pardon me. Shoot. It's okay. Um, tell me about it. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, that's a, Stephen, it's always uh, so much uh, fun and interesting to talk to you. Thank you for doing this interview. I, I so appreciate my, it. And uh, My pleasure, and um, thanks for playing our stuff. And I I played there during Sparkle Heart, I remember. Uh-huh. That was mm-hmm. cool. Anyway, Louisville's a cool place. Always have a... Have a um, fun place in my heart from from there. Spent a lot of time there. Yeah, we always uh, obviously love having you around. So whenever that can happen again, you know, hopefully you'll stop by and say hi. Yeah, there was plans to do that. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, before it got canceled. All right. All right, man. Nice talking. You too. Uh, take care, man. Yep, have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. Ah, my thanks. Stephen Malcolmus again. The latest album is called Traditional Techniques. Now, the last time Stephen and I caught up was back in 2018 on that last Jix record, Sparkle Heart. thought I'd include that interview here as well. In this interview, uh, Malcolmus and I get to talk about some of the politics behind the single Middle America, 
uh, the story of the single Shiggy, and at that point, his thoughts on a 30th anniversary pavement reunion. So without further ado, part two, Kyle Meredith, Stephen Malcolmus. Hey, it's a, it's a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, I'm really excited about this new record, man. So, so am I. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just getting gearing up in, into uh, talking about it and believing and being confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start with, um, I guess, right before it, because I don't know, it's been four years since the last one. I guess it'd be easy to, to ask what you've been up to, but I noticed like Flaked probably took a big part of that, didn't it? That's true. It took, well, it took maybe five months, but anybody that's done that before will tell you that especially on your first time that it's a there's a learning curve and there's a a lot of sore back from hunching over pro tools and you know what i mean so it was a con it was a concentrated five months now I, i've got to imagine you know scoring for a television show like that uh, is probably very different from scoring from a movie i mean is that because it, it sounds like it would be way more intense for something like that, especially episode to episode. Is that something you'd see yourself doing again in the future after after trying it out? Perhaps. I mean, I was given full free reign to do it in a kind of lo-fi, low-fidelity, improvisational, and, and they were really nice about it. I, I've heard some stories, other people doing this kind of work, that there's a lot of uh, sending things back and saying, like, Again, a little different. That's not right, etc. And so I was blessed not to have that. But it, it was—I don't know. You know, I would like to learn. I—I I think I need to meet somebody that does it and learn some tricks. Yeah. Also, because this was totally DIY. Now, were you doing this at the same time that you were writing for the new record, or was everything separated? Um, you know, I—if I look back, I was fiddling with those songs separately even before the the uh, show and I had in my mind a rock and roll, a rock record for want of a better term that I was gathering the um, recruits for as it were. And um, in, in between that, so yeah, I was fiddling it, but I used the same, yeah, the same kind of recording style for my de- demonstrations that I used on the show. And, and like, um, and in some ways it was related, but I kept, when you hear a song that's a, a really a tune and that's really you, you don't necessarily want to give it up for uh, a show, you know, anything that's uber special in my mind. I will try to, I'll, I'll be, I, a couple things I made up and I was like, oh, I'm just going to hold off on that. Because um, I could see that being a song I can sing, get behind. So what drove you then, uh, you mentioned you want to do a rock and roll record just because, or was there any any reason kind of pushing you in that direction? Um, I think there are always, there, I mean, I have been in that genre pool for most of my life and and uh all of it and uh i mean i don't know really why you do it you know participation with others uh having a purpose ego um also uh not knowing what else to do slash having a purpose um i guess that's why i have some things to say but you know overall the things I have to say, they're so meshed in the process of actually creating something with other people and feeling happy about it that it's it's all kind of mixed up together. Um, that's all I can say. Well, you know, I look back at a show you did last year with the um, you know the it was the nights of protest and protest songs, you know, that went for the ACLU and Planned Parenthood yeah. 350. Uh, 
you know, when you have things to say, that's what most artists are talking about these days. You know, that how could you not? Is it, Does that fall in line with you as well? I feel like I can say a lot of those things in social media and amongst uh, not necessarily in my music, you know. I, I touch on some issues now and then, but, you know, I guess there's multiple uh, levels or ways you can talk about music and uh, when I make it. And, you know, there's some that's it's really just about the tune and, and some subconscious emotional connections that, uh, you know, are more uh, subconscious and moving you in a deeper place than uh, today's politics. And occasionally some of those uh, more of today uh, feelings and they, I, they do seep into it, in, into an actual song. So I don't know. Well, I look at a title like Middle America, and, you know, I, I think I gave up trying to decipher a lot of your lyrics a long time ago. I just have fun with the songs, <laughs> and, and I think that's the fun of it. Yeah. I mean, that song, yeah, that doesn't have any, I mean, anything that's political in a song like Middle America is really personal. Uh, yeah, it's more of a love song. Maybe there's some ownership of or knowledge about human uh fallibility in the male species but it's kind of timeless you know i don't feel like it was you know it's kind of a subconscious like you said don't know what he's singing about necessarily in a song like that that line's in there i will not be one of the watchers i will not disappear right yeah that's the line i mean i think that's uh more of a i mean i think of that as all of us wanting to be seen you know it's it's not so much i'm going to stand up to authority or anything it's more i you know i'm i'm not invisible i i'm a i'm a person see me i think it's something we all a a need that we all have different levels and and it can of course bleed into narcissism or more of a a less healthy ego Mm -hmm. but it's still an, an urge in almost all of us ego and narcissism the title of the uh, the interview. <laughs> <laughs> Very current. I don't know. Yeah, you know, it's like in relationships I have with with people and my kids. You know, I see them becoming and see them connecting with others and in social media and you know just see this human human need to be seen. I'll, I'll comment on the sound too because you know it's it's. I don't know if if this is one of the songs that you would call your country sound. I was reading an interview from a few years ago and you were talking about your country sound that you do so well, but you don't especially listen to that type of music. Does this uh, is this in that category? Yeah, that one's jangly, and I, I guess I could say that that well, people have reacted positively when I say I I did it well. It's usually because people liked it, you know, and and then I. I know that's why I say it's 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 good. Um, people reacted positively to songs like Range Life and Father to a Sister of Thought and uh, these pavement songs of yours. And, um, you know, I kind of, yeah, I guess this kind of easy groove and this Central California laid back thing, I guess I can um, embody that naturally. Well, it follows nicely with the uh, the Grateful Dead tribute, which was sort of one of the last things that we heard from you guys in the interim. There, I thought, oh well, that's mm-hmm. a nice, that's a nice direct line right there. It fits together really nicely. I don't know if you could hear that. Oh yeah, I 
When the Jicks did China Cat, you know, we thought we'd tackle something that was kind of classic, but from the earlier uh, kind of electric time of the band. And I don't know, you know, I, it, it's, I can relate to the Grateful Dead in a, the kind of do-it-yourself hominess of their lyrics and, and voices meshing. Certainly, I, you know, I'm in that realm of singers that are home-taught and kind of getting away with it on uh, uniqueness or uh, <laughs> passion. Yeah. Um, the Dead have that, and musically, too. I mean, they, of course, they became pretty great musicians, some of them. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but they also kind of hold together as a thing that is, you know, tape and bit and it all kind of holds together and and the the crowd and history oh. it's like a kind of a unique thing well, i'll flip the coin real quick to talk about the uh the second single with shiggy i mean that's mm-hmm. that's got to be one of the most heavy heavier songs that i've heard from you uh at, at least in a long while that's a huge sounding song what's the story there? yeah man it's a banger <laughs> i you know it's, it's funny because i also have another version of it that I did before we uh, recorded, and I, I just gave it to the, I, I had kind of a burned out Neil Young version of it, slow and, and grooving, a little like Jay Smooth, the song that was on her past album. But so it was kind of, you know, longing and wandering simple guitar solos. And then I had that other one that we just, I just played him for the band, and they're like, it seems like you're singing that one better, and I we think we should do it that way. So I was like, okay. We're going to do that and let's, you know, just kind of get a more crazy horse, play behind the beat a little bit, and the bass should be a little ahead, you know, and uh, create a little disorientation with the song, you know, kind of just how you choose to produce things and how kind of try to make it a little ragged sounding but big, you know. Yeah. Um, It's kind of funny how you... You know, it's not, you don't just go in and play things these days. You kind of have to finesse, finesse your plug. <laughs> uh, I love the way it sounds. I mean, the couple songs I've heard so far, uh, it's huge. It's pretty rich sounding. It's a good production sound. Chris, he's a, a guitar player, Chris Funk in the Decembrists. Mm-hmm. And he's, I think he's made an album with uh, Red Fang, they're called. They're like, grungy band from portland hard rock and and i guess you don't associate the uh decembrists with big sound or aggressive guitars necessarily so it was cool that he was totally wanted to harness that and you know i added some really scratchy kind of old pavement guitars where you just play really amateur like with a pick just going and create that kind of hiss you know Mm -hmm. um that you're right. I haven't done that in a while. Um, I'm glad you like it. Almost 20 years with the Jicks. It's about time for a singles compilation, isn't it? <laughs> Man, that would be nice. I mean, yeah, we, we've always been a little bit of an underdog band because of my past and maybe because of the quality or not. I don't really know. Um, I would like to... Uh, yeah, we have our fans that just like to... They, they would... It's, one thing I can say is it's certainly always a chance for a um, re uh, reappraisal yeah. of some of those and the good ones and uh, there's there's fluff on there like anybody else. 
So I, I can't. I think you're right. <laughs> or a, the best, of, if not greatest hits, could be pretty awesome. I got to take the moment. I know we're running out of time here. Of course, when we're talking about anniversaries, that other one's going to come up next year. So the question's going to be there. But do you want to do another uh, pavement run on for the thirtieth? I'm not so keen on it right now. I mean, I'm. I got my plate full with. You know, we we put our heart into this record and have some other tricks up my sleeve coming, and combine that with more mundane things like my wife's career and family and things that are kind of more real than than anyone really wants. It's not so fun to talk about, but I also have <laughs> stuff going on. It's fun for me, but not for um, doesn't keep any rock and roll myths going on, you know, but right. I'm full, full time with my life. So I don't know if I have time for a pavement reunion. God bless them though. I love that people love pavement still. I'm totally psyched. I'm totally proud about pavement. And I certainly appreciate when they're into what I'm doing now, people that like pavement. So it's a great record. And I can say that over and over again. This is a, this is some cool stuff you're doing. I sing, a, I sing along even when I don't understand what I'm singing to. That's, uh, I know. I know. I mean, I just focus on creating some, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, filler in there and some, I guess you would call them placeholders that aren't crystal clear, more how they sound. But, you know, for the most part, you know, I'm trying to hit a nerve that you might not know you have or whatever and um, that I might not know I have too. And when I like it, I keep it, you know, so... Uh, it's worked uh, this long. Um, sparkle heart. I cannot wait for the full thing. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thanks for the nice talk. Um, you're going to be here at Zanzibar in June, I believe. So we'll get to see you then. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell. He's a great basketball player. He went to Louisville. Yeah. I'm just mentioning it. He plays for the Utah Jazz. I just, when I thought of Louisville, besides uh, the Palace Brothers, um, I thought of him. Yeah. <laughs> and Jim James and his boys. Well, thank Thanks you very much, talking. dude. I'll, uh, I'll see you around. Take care. Okay. Bye now. Steve and Malcolm, again, that's back uh, 2018 behind the Jix record, Sparkle Hard. And one more time, the new Steve and Malcolm's record is called Traditional Techniques, and it's out now. Thanks to Steven. Thanks to you for uh, checking out this interview and making it all the way till the end here. Always appreciate that. Uh, again, if you're not already a subscriber and you want to keep up with the series, it is a great way to hear from your favorite artists and discover new artists and, uh, you know, whatever's happening in music. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts from, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, type in Kyle Meredith with and subscribe. Uh, maybe even give us a hello or whatever. I always try to uh, answer all the comments or questions out there, and I uh, always appreciate hearing from you all. Then after that, head to WFPK.org where I do a show Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spans, and bonus interviews. Again, that's uh, WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me at just about any social media platform at Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network.
Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.